This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. A focus of palliative care is still to improve the quality of dying, but importantly, it's also to improve the quality of living. That's Dr. Camilla Zimmerman. She's the lead author on a new study that highlights the importance of palliative care. Today, she'll tell us why it should no longer be thought of as a last stop for people with terminal illnesses. Plus, the RRSP contribution deadline is just over 24 hours away. According to financial guru Gordon Pape, they are still one of the best ways to build a nest egg as you head to retirement. But Zoomers have to adapt to a changing climate. I'll chat with him about his new book, RRSP's The Ultimate Wealth Builder. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The Zoomer generation was the first where higher education was commonplace, and new statistics show it paid off. According to Stats Canada, over the last 20 years, men with a bachelor's degree made an average of $732,000 more than those who only had a high school diploma. For women, the earnings gap was much smaller, but university women still made $448,000 more than high school graduates. It's not unusual to hear about men fathering children in their 60s, 70s, and beyond. But new research from Sweden shows older fathers may face higher risks for having children with psychiatric problems. The largest study to examine the potential link lists problems including bipolar disorder, autism, and attention deficits. Researchers examined the data on more than 2 million Swedes born from 1973 to 2001. Men who fathered kids at 45 or older had the greatest risk for having children with psychiatric problems or academic difficulties. The Israeli embassy has donated 300 books related to Anne Frank to Tokyo Public Libraries to replace the ones that were damaged in recent vandalism. Representatives from the embassy and Japan's Jewish community handed over the books to Tokyo officials last week. More than 300 volumes related to Anne Frank, including copies of The Diary of a Young Girl, have been found damaged in Tokyo libraries. Anne Frank wrote her diary during the two years her family hid from the Nazis during the Second World War. She died in a concentration camp in 1945. Dame Judi Dench says she has no plans to retire from acting, even though she no longer has one of the tools actors normally require, the ability to read a script. Dench suffers from age-related macular degeneration. She says because of the condition she cannot read anymore, she can't paint, she finds it difficult even to watch the movies she's in. She has her scripts read to her in order to work, and her latest work put her in the running for an Oscar tonight, 
for her role in Philomena. It's her seventh nomination. She won in 1999 for her eight-minute appearance in Shakespeare in Love. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Most of us think of palliative care as the kind of treatment reserved for the very end of life, when other medical options have been exhausted. But now a study out of Princess Margaret Cancer Center finds that giving patients with advanced cancer earlier access to palliative care greatly improves their quality of life, and the earlier, the better. I reached study author Dr. Camilla Zimmerman in her office at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Palliative care is often misconceived uh, as being care that's relevant only right at the end of life. And I wanted to show that actually it's relevant at a much earlier time when patients are still coming back and forth to see their oncologist to provide help and support during what can be a very difficult and challenging time both for patients and also for their families. You randomized two groups of patients. Tell me a little bit about what you did. Yeah, so there were 461 patients in all, and we randomized actually clinics. So uh, there were 24 medical oncology clinics, and half of those were randomized to the intervention group to receive uh, palliative care support in an outpatient setting in a clinic early on, and the others received routine care. When you say early on, what do you mean? These were all patients so these, with advanced these metastatic. These were all patients who had advanced cancer, but advanced cancer can mean many things. It can mean that you have only weeks to live, but in, in this setting, it was patients who had more like years to live. So these were still quite um, patients who were still quite well, and as I said, were ambulatory. So they were coming back and forth to see their oncologist. Um, about 90% of them were still on chemotherapy, so they're still very actively being treated, and the aim was to prolong their life. And then our aim was to improve their quality of life while they were receiving uh, care by their oncologist. Okay, and the people in the other group either didn't get any palliative care or they got it right at the end, or they got it, uh, Or they got it later. So we found that in the group uh, that received the intervention that that was randomized to our clinic, they had improved a quality of life compared to the control group, particularly at the four-month mark. You hit on something very interesting. What I have found is that people really freak out uh, just at the word palliative care. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do, yeah, which is too bad because it prevents them from getting the kind of care that they might really benefit from. I mean, it's understandable because palliative care did originally arise from the hospice movement. And when we think of hospices, we think of inpatient centers where where patients um, go to die comfortably in a home-like setting. But palliative care has changed a lot, especially in the last 10 years, and the definition has broadened quite a bit. So a focus of palliative care is still to improve the quality of dying, but importantly, it's also to improve the quality of living, and that's relevant for, uh, for a whole bunch more patients who are living with their cancer. I have to uh, point out, I do have some personal experience with mm-hmm. this, and when I was uh, treated for cancer, I had trouble with pain management, and yeah. I was sent to palliative care, and the first thing I said to the doctor was, palliative care. I don't want to go there. (laughs) I'm freaky. I mean, that freaks me out. What am I doing here? And and he sort of said, well, you know, I do have some patients that that I have for, you know, a couple of years. (laughs) And oddly, that wasn't wasn't so comforting. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, it's also the expertise that we have. 
you know, so uh, the palliative care physicians are trained in complex symptom management, including pain control, which can be quite difficult and challenging in some patients, um, and also in the management of other symptoms and also in, in counseling type skills. So, it, and these things are relevant not only for patients who are dying, obviously, but just patients who are going through their cancer care and also the, for the families who often need support. I see uh, in your work that you say some teams are now calling what they do supportive care. Yeah. So that's, that's a bit contentious in the field because there's two ways to approach it. One is to rename the field. And the other is to educate people that uh, the meaning of the name has changed. And uh, sometimes it can be easier to rename the field. It's sort of a shortcut way. But on the other hand, the field has changed. And, um, and what was called palliative uh, care before has, as I said, now broadened. I remember having this discussion with one of your colleagues, Dr. Gary Roden, who yeah. appeared on one of our programs. And, and he said that what he found, that it wasn't the name that people were afraid of, but it was the thing itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like being scared of the umbrella when it's raining. You, know? <laughs> you, you don't want to go out in the rain, but, but the umbrella is actually a good thing to have. And it's sort of the same thing with, with palliative care. What you're really scared of is dying of cancer. Um, you're not scared of the team, but you're scared of, of what you think comes with it. You know, once people walk through the door and actually meet us and see what a wonderful and supporting group of people we are, and that's, you know, not just our team, but really worldwide, I mean, that's, that's what we're there for, they wonder sort of, why was I worried about coming here, you know? Are your findings applicable to diseases other than cancer? Broadly speaking, palliative care is much more than cancer. One of the other big issues with palliative care is whether or not it's available. Oh, yeah, that's a huge issue. Waiting times are, are a problem in terms of waiting to see a palliative care physician sometimes in the outpatient setting, and we need more palliative care physicians trained. And I think it's also important for oncologists and others dealing with patients with serious illnesses to be trained in the basics of palliative care so that not every patient needs a, uh, a specialized palliative care physician. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Dr. Zimmerman, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We're coming up to the RRSP deadline, and according to Zoomer Media's financial expert, Gordon Pape, they are still one of the best ways to manage your money. He'll tell us more after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It's cutting it pretty close if you haven't made your RRSP contribution for 2013. The deadline is midnight tomorrow, but it's never too late to take a different approach to building your savings. Financial guru Gordon Pape has a new book with the latest advice, RRSPs, the ultimate wealth builder. Gordon Pape, thanks for joining us from sunny Florida, where uh, if we save enough in our RRSPs, we'll be able to retire there as well, I guess. Well, it certainly is a desirable thing to be able to do with all the frigid weather that uh, having in uh, the, the great frozen north these days, I'm afraid. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm afraid, too. <laughs> <laughs> Why now for another RRSP book? I haven't really gone back to the subject now for several years, and obviously the whole situation as far as retirement planning has changed quite dramatically. We have the debate going on, as you know, over the Canada Pension Plan and whether that should be 
extended. Uh, we have the, the problem with the coverage in private pension plans, that less than half the population has a private pension plan. And uh, we have more people working longer because they can't, don't have enough money saved for their retirement in many cases. So I think that uh, it's time for, for a new look at RSPs and a, and a better understanding of exactly the role that they can play in being your own personal pension plan and uh, how you can build them and uh, make them work successfully while you're getting a tax deduction at the same time. I am assuming that a lot of boomers, Zoomers are waking up and realizing either that they haven't started saving or they haven't saved enough and they've really got to do something in a shortened period of time. What's your advice for them? Well, obviously, there's no easy advice. If you haven't really started putting some money aside, you've got to really assess your situation. What lifestyle do you expect to have when you retire? When do you actually expect to retire? And are the two compatible? Are you going to have enough money to make that happen? If not, you've got to make some adjustments. You either have to save more money or you have to say, I've got to work longer in order to make this happen, or I'm going to have to adjust my lifestyle downward. You've got to make some hard, realistic decisions, and you have to make them now. Because if you put it off until you're just about to retire six months down the road, and then you discover that, hey, I haven't got enough money to be able to live the way I want to live, then it's really too late to do anything. Now, one of the things that may make that a little bit easier is the fact that at this point, hopefully they've got a mortgage that's paid off and the kids are grown up and are out on their own and so they don't have those other expenses, which should have freed up some money that uh, they can use for building an RSP and a tax-free savings account. I have to interrupt you there, Gordon, because according to numbers that we've seen, more and more Zoomers do have mortgages, and they have uh, boomerang kids who come back home. They have to support their kids often into adulthood. (laughs) I know. I can't really uh, suggest a lot in that situation except get rid of the debt to start with because that's going to be an overhang. uh, And uh, having a heavy debt in retirement is just as bad as not having enough income because obviously it sucks a big chunk of your income away each month. If you are carrying a mortgage, what's your advice? What comes first, uh, the RSP or the mortgage? A lot depends on what your mortgage rate is. If you're paying a very low mortgage rate, I'd be inclined to go for the RSP simply because you're going to get a tax break when you make your contribution. So that's an immediate payoff. And hopefully you're going to get a better return in the RSP than the cost of the mortgage that you're carrying. If, however, you're carrying credit card debt, or you've got a very high interest rate, 19.9% for the average credit card, in that case, my advice is pay down the credit card. If you're not in that situation, and uh, I would hope that many of our listeners are not, uh, then you've got to put more money aside and you've got to invest it in a way that's going to get you a decent rate of return. And that's a big problem these days. Of course, the stock market has been doing pretty well, but interest rates are way down. And a lot of the safe, secure investments that uh, many people counted on, GICs and that sort of thing, uh, are not paying very good returns these days. And so people are saying, well, where can I get security and a decent return? And the answer is it's not easy. On page 68 of your book, you, you discuss asset allocation by age. Yes. So, for instance, age 51 to 60, you have fixed income at 40% as a minimum, 61 to 65 
and older, you have it at 50%. Now, fixed income has been doing really badly lately. Does that affect things? The thing about fixed income is, yes, it may not be giving you a very good return right now, but at least it's protecting your assets. And if you buy bonds and you hold them to maturity, you're going to get your principal back and you're going to get the interest coupon on the bond, whatever it is. So there's lots of corporate bonds out there that are paying somewhere between 4 and 5% good quality corporate bonds. You can build a fixed income portfolio on those. You're not going to get hurt if you hold the bonds to maturity. So obviously you're not going to buy long-term bonds. You're not going to buy 20-year bonds. You're going to buy 5-year bonds. At the beginning of the book, you make a very interesting point. Uh, right now, at the age of 71, you have to start drawing down your RSP. Uh, you're saying that in the current reality, the government is not recognizing our life expectancies. That's right. And uh, I think this is a very important point. It's not just even uh, the life expectancy that's critical here. It's the fact that many people are working way past age 65, well into their 70s. And uh, therefore, why should they not be allowed to accumulate more money in terms of their retirement uh, pension down the road? To force them to stop contributing to an RSP at age 71, I think, is unrealistic in this day and age. The government might argue, yes, well, we have the tax-free savings accounts, but your, your limit there is only $5,500 a year. It's nothing like the same limit as the RSP. So why not allow people to keep contributing to the plans until such time as uh, they, they really need to begin drawing on them? The government's going to get that money sooner or later anyway. RRSP's The Ultimate Wealth Builder is published by Portfolio Canada. You can get more financial advice from Gordon Pape in the current issue of Zoomer magazine. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. That's the king of Calypso, Mr. Harry Belafonte. The singer and activist celebrated his 87th birthday this weekend. In just a moment, we'll return with some of his music. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's a story of winter, spring, love. Middle of the Night was written by Academy Award-winning screenwriter Patty Chayefsky about what happens when an older Jewish widower and a much younger woman fall in love. It's at the Clerman Theatre on West 42nd. In Memphis, it's a glimpse into the early days of Elvis Presley's career. A telegram sent by Elvis to his parents in November of 1954 is on display as part of a brand new exhibit at Graceland. And down under, where it's summertime, a special exhibit at the Art Gallery of New South Wales looks at 16 photographers from the 1960s to the 2000s and their various approaches to the depiction of modern Australian life. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. That's the king of Calypso, music icon, activist, and Zoomer magazine cover boy, Harry Belafonte. This weekend, he is celebrating his 87th birthday. Belafonte is probably most famous for his career as a musician. 
But he's also known for being very active in humanitarian causes. He was a confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. and provided lots of financial support for the civil rights movement. He's also a goodwill ambassador for UNICEF and is well known for his support of awareness for HIV AIDS in Africa. He was an early advocate of prostate cancer screenings after he beat the disease in 1996. And in 2013, he was awarded the NAACP's highest honor, the Springarn Medal. Today, we'll celebrate his 87th birthday with the biggest hit of his musical career, the Banana Boat Song. Daylight come and me won't go home. Work all night and I drink a rum. Daylight come and me won't go home. Stack banana till the morning come. Daylight come and me won't go home. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Harry Belafonte with the Banana Boat Song. The musician and humanitarian activist celebrated his 87th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please come back next week when we tell you why Zoomers are embarking on extreme adventures to raise money for charity. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Knight. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandree. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.